Well, I was driving home from work the other day, and my tedious mile and a half commute to get home, and I was deep in thought over some earth-shaking issue, which I can't remember even what it was anymore. And maybe you've had this before, but I'm driving home, and suddenly I realized I was home. And I had really very little remembering of how I got there. You know, your body just kind of goes on, you know, familiar route kind of goes on autopilot, and, and you pull in the driveway and think, how did, I, I don't remember nothing about my drive home. And I'm just glad I got there safely. I'm surprised that, uh, that there aren't more car accidents that way. There's, we do that in other things in our lives too. Some things are so repetitive, some things you just do again and again, maybe on a daily basis that after a while you don't even think about it anymore. You don't have to pay attention to it. It just kind of happens and your mind just makes it go. And that's great when it comes to, to household chores that I'd rather not think about anyways. Uh, but it's not so great when it comes to things that I really should be paying attention to. Things that I really should be thinking about. Right? Sometimes we put ourselves on autopilot when it comes to our faith and the things that we believe. Right? We often do that with some of the most important statements of what we believe in. Right? We can recite the Lord's Prayer. I don't know. Uh, maybe you have the tradition of before dinner you do the Lord's Prayer. Maybe your, your parents or grandparents did that. And you ever have it where you're just going through the motions. You aren't thinking a word about what you're saying in the Lord's Prayer. You're just eager to get it done so you can dig into that first bite of roast beef. And you get through and you even realize what you said. Right? Sometimes in worship we can sing the songs that we sing without ever thinking about what the words really say. Um, we can make it all the way through, maybe all the way through a whole hour-long worship service and go home and say, now what did we really do? You, made it, you know, you went from 5 o'clock till, till 6 o'clock, but what happened in between there, well, don't really, don't really remember much. Well, tonight we're on to Lord's Day 9 in our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. And Lord's Day 9 makes us stop and think about some of the words that we say so often that we end up saying them without ever really thinking about them. Right? Remember, remember back a couple weeks ago, Lord's Day 7 pointed to the words of the Apostles' Creed as the articles of true faith that must shape our minds and our hearts and our actions. Right? Said it's a creed beyond doubt and confessed throughout the world. Okay, this, this Apostles' Creed is a deeply profound statement of faith that defines who we are as Christians. It states all the basic premises of Christianity clearly and concisely. Really, it's a tool, as we mentioned, that, that draws the line between what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a cult. And as we say these words of the Apostles' Creed, we join with Christians from across denominations and, and across time to proclaim this unity of our faith in Jesus Christ. And we do that often, and yet I would guess that most of us probably have learned little about the history of that creed. Right? Legend has it that, that the Apostles' Creed was written by the 12 apostles. Legend has it that they were sitting together, and, and one each took one of 12 statements and wrote it down on a piece of paper, and voila, you have the Apostles' Creed. That's not the way it happened. That's legend, okay? The apostles really didn't write the creed at all, although it is rooted in, in their basic teachings, right? And, but throughout history, this creed played a really important role in a time when, 
when no creed existed, right? What, what did it mean to be a Christian? What is the basic of, of the faith? Nobody had defined that. Nobody had agreed to that. It's a time when churches were, were looking for a unified foundation of belief upon which they could all stand together. And so, and so it was written out, this rule of faith. That's what it was called when it was first written, a rule of faith. It was accepted as kind of the common core of faith that must be shared. There can be a lot of differences around it, a lot of, a lot of uh, different perspectives, but here's the core of what it means to be a Christian. It's the minimal truths defining that. And what we recite today, you may not know, is that actually the original creed that was first written. Uh, the creed originally was called the old Roman creed. It was a lot shorter, shorter than already. It's a pretty short creed. It was a lot shorter. It goes back to about the year 140 when, it first, when the first evidence of this old Roman creed. And uh, about 900 years later, it was revised. That's how fast change happens in the church, right? It took 900 years to make that change until we have the version now called, officially called the Received Creed. Replace that Roman creed. It's been around now for 1,100 years. That, just think about that. We are reciting words that Christians 1,100 years ago were reciting. That is, that is powerful enough to recognize the unity of the church across all time and all places. It should cause us to take these words seriously. And yet, I know I'm guilty of often reciting them without thinking, right? We probably comprehend some of it, but, but often we don't really dig into the depths of what this creed is really saying. A lot of times we make it through the Apostles' Creed on autopilot. So tonight, we are going to start with the Catechism, looking deeper into the different parts of the Apostles' Creed in order to better understand what it is that we're really saying when we recite this creed together. And hopefully we'll take ourselves off of autopilot and engage our heads and our hearts with what our mouths profess. And that starts with Lord's Day 9. Lord's Day 9 has only one question and one answer, although the answer is a little bit long. Um, but I'm going to ask the question to you. I'm going to be up on the screen. And would you join me in reciting the answer together? It simply says, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Will you join me in the answer? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ his Son. I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful Father. So this first statement with the creed, we declare that we believe in God, right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we usually recite that line with little excitement, 
My guess is your pulse rate didn't start racing as you said that tonight. Um, your facial expressions, our face, usually don't change much at all. It's old news, right? I believe in God. Nothing new. We've heard it before. We've said it before. Many of us have known that since we were children. But what we profess here in this first line is spectacularly profound when we stop to think about it. It sets us apart from the majority of the world around us. Right? We declare with that, that that we're not like the rest of the world. Right? We set ourselves as people who believe in the existence of God. But even more so, we set ourselves apart because of who we believe this God is. Right? And when we state that small sentence, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, we're proclaiming three pretty amazing things about our God. First of all, with this confession, we declare that the God who we believe in is a God of love. Right? We get to call him Father. We say that right away in the creed. We, we get to call him Father. I believe God the Father. God himself gives us that title for us to know him by. He tells us not only to call him Father, don't just have the title there, but he calls us to live in a father-child relationship with him. And for some of us, that makes a lot of sense. For those of us who have had good relationships with our fathers, that brings a warm kind of relationship feeling between us and God. A lot of what we experience with our fathers, we say, yeah, that makes sense that God would be my father. For others of us, that's very difficult, right? For some of us, our earthly fathers were far from what they were supposed to be, right? Some of us had fathers who were distant at best, maybe abusive at worst. And the sad thing is, is when that happens here on earth, it, it hurts us not only emotionally, but it hurts us physically and, and it hurts us spiritually as well. Because when we call God Father then, it doesn't bring up those, those appropriate relationships, those pleasant feelings, those clear understandings. Because that's not who our earthly father was. So it's nice to assume that now, all of us immediately recall these positive experiences with our earthly fathers, but it's just not true. So some of us have, have some significant work to do right here at the beginning. Right? Some of us must do the difficult work of beginning to understand that God, our Father, is everything we wish our earthly fathers had been. He's the perfect expression of a fatherly love that we long for, right? He is strong and able... And yet he's able to stoop down and relate to and play with the smallest of children. He's, he's not only the source of our physical life, as human fathers are, but, but he's the source of, of our daily protection. And he's our daily provider as well. He's the father who loves us through the pain of, of being rejected and who eagerly and willingly pays the price for our adoption as his children. He's everything we wish our father had been. Paul makes this love relationship with God the Father exceedingly clear in Romans chapter 8. Let me just read a few verses for you. He writes, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we 
we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we must also share in his glory. We are children of God, sons and daughters of God. We don't relate to him as a, a deity to be pacified. We don't relate to him as some kind of all-powerful monster to be tamed. We don't relate to him as, as an angry power to somehow be appeased. We don't relate to him as a vending machine. If we do the right things, he gives us the right blessings. No. We relate to him as a loving child relates to a loving father. God's love for us is the kind of love that you and I long for, that we're searching for. We're we're told that again and again. It's the love of someone who cares deeply for us. It's the love of someone who will give everything for us. It's the love of someone who will stick by us no matter what. No matter how rotten we may be, he stays with us. And let me just read two descriptions from Scripture of just how much God loves you and how much he loves me. Right, John three sixteen. it's a verse that, again, we've heard so often that oftentimes we read right through it and don't think much about it. But, but honestly, in this verse, hear the extent of God's love for you. When, when John writes that God so loved the world, God so loved you and me, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to condemn you, to condemn me, but to save you through him. God loves you enough that he would sacrifice his son for you. That's exactly what he did. Or 1 John 4 tells us again, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We have a God who gives everything for you. In his relationship with us, God defines what true love is. So, we believe in God the Father. The love of a father for you and for me. And yet, in the very next word of our, of our creed, we profess that this God who loves us that much isn't a safe God at all. I believe in God the Father all mighty god the father almighty we have a god of great power i mean look at the stories in scripture and you'll see the power that god has he's not safe right he has the power to make the sun stand still and the power to make the sky rain down food at his command he has the power to 
to make fire pour down from heaven and the power to make water flood up from the earth. He has the power to slaughter whole armies if he chooses. And he has the power to raise up children from the dead. He has the power to defeat Satan and transform this world. He has the power to make the blind see and to make those who can see blind. And and this shouldn't surprise us. Because gods are supposed to be powerful, right? They're supposed to be almighty. That's why they're called gods. But look at what our God does, does with his power. This is what makes our God different from all the other gods, real or imagined. Right, link his almightiness, he's almighty, he's got all the power, right? Link that to his love, he's our father, the perfect father. And you have a God who, as we profess, is creator of heaven and earth. Now, what's the significance of being creator? Is that just one thing that God did? No. At the very beginning, in his very act of creating, God demonstrates through his power and his love a passionate desire to be in a loving relationship both now and forever, and his willingness to exert his power to make that relationship happen and to make that relationship work. God did not need to create this world. God did not need to create this universe. He did not need to create you and create me. He could have been perfectly satisfied to be in perfect community with the trinity that we talked about last week right perfect community right there father son and spirit he didn't somehow need us but he made the choice to create this universe he made the choice to create every human being he made the choice to create you and to create me Because his passion is to have a love relationship with you. And he will use all of his power to do just that. So he uses his great power to uphold and rule this earth. To keep this creation rolling so that he can have a relationship with you. God didn't use all of his creative power, make this world, and then just step away from it to see what would happen. That would defeat his whole passion and his purpose. He created it so that he might step into it and have a relationship of love with you. So he might love and be loved. He created all this so that he might be our father and we might be his children. You know, having that kind of great power doesn't mean much if it isn't used well, does it? We prove that all the time. You and I have great power. We have power to make huge differences in this world. But that power is useless if we don't put it to use or if we use our power for the wrong purposes, right? Studies show that that together we have the power to put an end to world hunger. It's within our grasp. We don't do it. Power doesn't mean much if we don't do it. We have the ability to fight poverty and homelessness, but we don't necessarily do it. 
Right? We have the ability to speak words of encouragement to each other, but we don't always choose those words. Right? We're living proof that, that having the ability and having the power alone doesn't mean a whole lot. But God is different. We're professing here that God not only has the power, but he chooses to use that power for our good. The catechism tells us that we can trust him to provide whatever I need for body and soul. And he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. Those are words that you just spoke a few minutes ago. You said that you trust God to provide whatever you need for body and soul. And you trust him to turn for good whatever adversity we're going to experience in this world. God's able to do that. He's able to care for us because he is almighty God. And he's willing to do that. He's willing to care for us because he is our faithful father. Romans 8, that passage goes on to tell us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And he proved that most dramatically when he took the death of his own son, Jesus, on the cross. And he took that horrible injustice and out of it brought forgiveness and life to us. He raised Jesus from the dead so that we might have life eternal. He used his great power to prove his great love. He brought hope where before there was no hope. He brought life where there was no life and only death. He brought forgiveness and grace where before there was only judgment and guilt. He brought life he brought love. He brought hope. That is the God that we profess to know, that we profess to love. That is the God that we together declare to be our God. He has the power and the will to use that power for us. And knowing that, Knowing who he is, that is also the God now that we are called to imitate. Right, in Ephesians 5, Paul gives us this overarching life command. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, being a part of the family of God means we imitate our Father. Right, that's, that's how it happens often in families, right? Children end up imitating their parents. I say that in my premarriage counseling when I sit down with young couples. I, I look in the, in the eye and I say to the guy, if you do nothing, you will end up a lot like your father. And I say to the young lady, if you do nothing, you're going to end up a lot like your mother. And it, it usually brings, you know, tears and, and great fear. Well, not maybe tears, but that's the way it works, right? Children become like their parents. They're naturally inclined to do that. They're wired the same way. It should work the same way for us with God. The more we hang around him, the longer we're a part of the family with him as our father, the more we should become like him. 
Right? 2 Corinthians 3.18 makes it clear that every day we walk with the Lord, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. I mean, think about that. As we learn more and more who God is and, and what God does and, and how God acts and how he loves, we're supposed to be and do those same things. We're supposed to live that same way. We're, we're seeing how we're supposed to act. Just as God uses his power in love to create life-changing relationships. So we're called to use the power we have in love to help foster life-changing relationships. Right, so this, this first line, line of the Apostles' Creed isn't just a declaration about who God is. It's also a declaration about who we are to be as well. When we profess who God is, we are declaring who we are striving to be. We are sons and daughters of the Father. We are wired to imitate him. God's kingdom plan is to have us be transformed into his likeness. And that means we use all the power we have to live out lives of love and make a difference. An eternal difference. Right? We, we use our power to serve as God serves. And you may wonder, compared to the power of God, almighty God, what kind of power do we have? We don't have the power to create something out of nothing like God does, right? We don't have the power to part the waters of the sea. We don't have the power to make the sun stand still. We don't have the power to raise anybody from the dead. We aren't God. But we are God's children. And we do share in God's power. Because we've been forgiven... We now have the amazing power to forgive when we've been wrong. Because God has given himself away for us, we now have the amazing power to give ourselves away in service and in sacrifice to those in need in his name. Because God has spoken words of love and encouragement to us, we now have the amazing power, the power of our words that can encourage others and lift their spirits and give them joy. Because God sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives, we now have the amazing power to be the channel by which the Holy Spirit makes an eternal difference in someone else's life. We now, as we talked about this morning, have the power to be, to be the channel that, that ushers the kingdom of God into this world. We have God's great power in his spirit within us. Do we share his great love? That's the question. Will we use that power of God for the purposes of God? I believe in God the Father, almighty, creator of heaven and earth. When we stop long enough to think about that, we'll realize that's a pretty powerful statement. That's a lot packed in to just one little sentence. We'll realize that that's a pretty loving statement. Don't say it without thinking. Don't say it without realizing who our God is. And don't say it without thinking about 
who God wants you and me to be. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, thank you for allowing us to call you Father. What, a, what an invitation that is. That you, the God of the universe, would want to be in, in such a close relationship with us that you would invite us to be your sons and your daughters. You are the perfect Father who's willing to do everything for the love of his sons and daughters. Thank you for giving everything for us. Thank you for being available to us. Thank you for picking us up when we fall. Thank you for forgiving us when we turn our backs on you. Thank you for being present for all the joyful celebrations in our lives and celebrating right along with us. And thank you for being present in those really painful and difficult times and holding us close and crying right along with us and comforting us. Thank you for being our Father. And for those of us who have a hard time realizing what that means, give us every day another glimpse of your great love, what the love of a father is all about. Thank you, God, that you are almighty. When we feel like this, when we feel like the, this life and the things going on in this world are be out of our control and we realize they are out of our control, remind us that, that nothing is out of your control. Nothing is beyond your reach. Sometimes we don't understand, Father. We can't understand why you use your power in some ways and not others. That's always a mystery to us. But remind us that this creation is yours. Created for the purpose of loving us and being in relationship to us. And that you will use your power. You will turn all things for good for those who love you. And so when good things happen in our lives and the blessings flow, may we praise God. May we give credit to your power. When we face the challenges of life and when we wonder, where are you, God? When we wish that you would utilize your power as we would design it, as we would choose it. Help us to trust you. Trust that you will work all things for our good. That you will hold us close and that you are still God and you are still good even in those dark, dark times. Thank you, Father, for creating this universe all for the purpose of being in relationship with us, of loving us more and more and inviting us to love you May we live lives that truly are in love with you. In Jesus' precious name we pray these things.